This is CNN Breaking News. And welcome to our second hour of the lead. I'm Jake Tapper. We continue with major breaking news. President Trump set to be released from Walter Reed Medical Center in a matter of hours at his own insistence. He will now recover from coronavirus at the White House. Moments ago, we heard from the president's doctors who acknowledged that President Trump is not entirely out of the woods yet. They said they will be closely tracking his condition through the weekend. Uh, We all remain cautiously optimistic um, and on guard Uh, because we're in a bit of uncharted territory when it comes to a patient that received the therapies he has so early in the course. Though he may not entirely be out of the woods yet, the team and I agree that all our evaluations, and most importantly, his clinical status, support the president's safe return home. The president's physician, Navy Commander Sean Conley, said that his commander-in-chief, President Trump, has not had a fever in 72 hours and will receive another round of an experimental drug remdesivir before leaving the hospital this evening. But Commander Conley is still refusing to answer basic questions about the president's condition, including what the president's lung scans showed, when President Trump last tested negative for the virus, what specific drugs the president of the United States is taking, instead saying he's on a routine regiment of COVID therapy. The president's also downplayed this deadly virus that has killed almost 210,000 Americans in his Twitter announcement, writing, quote, don't be afraid of COVID. Don't let it dominate your life. We have developed under the Trump administration some really great drugs and knowledge. I feel better than I did 20 years ago. Of course, President Trump right now on a bunch of medications that might make him feel better. That doesn't necessarily mean that he has been cured. Let's get right to CNN's Caitlin Collins. And Caitlin, Dr. Conley, Commander Conley, refusing to answer just basic questions the American people are entitled to know, making it hard for the public to understand the scope of President Trump's sickness right now. Yeah, that's something that he's done for three days in a row now, Jake, refusing to answer those basic questions. But today, he finally cited the reason why, citing HIPAA, of course, that Privacy Act that prevents medical professionals from divulging information about their patients unless that patient gives them permission to do so. And of course, in this case, the patient is the president, and he is refusing to allow his doctor, apparently, to give the American people information, basic information about his health and his condition and what's behind this decision to now leave the hospital after just three days. There are HIPAA rules and regulations that uh, restrict me in uh, sharing certain things uh, for his safety and his, and his own health uh, and, and reasons. Again, uh, HIPAA kind of precludes me from going into too much depth. And th- So there you have it. He also would not say when the president's last negative test result was. That's something that they've done for three days. And, Jake, you have to think if the White House had actually been testing the president on a daily basis, like they've claimed for months, they could easily say his last negative test was Thursday morning or Wednesday. Yet they have refused to say that time and time again, the president's doctors and his political aides. And that makes you really question whether or not the White House is actually testing the president on a daily basis like they claimed. There's also the other theory, of course, is that the White House... Uh, has seemed to lean into the idea that the president may have gotten, may have contracted and been infected on the Saturday when he held that event announcing his Supreme Court nominee two Saturdays ago. If he was infected that day and the debate was Tuesday and we don't know when he last tested negative, it remains possible that they knew he was uh, infected before the debate. 
or maybe they had that suspicion because Kaylee McEnany didn't answer a lot of questions yesterday before she herself tested positive. She did say that he did not test positive until Thursday when he returned from New Jersey, but they didn't say whether or not he had actually been tested the days prior to that. So maybe they had an inkling that he was. That's something that they will not answer, so we don't know. But Dr. Conley admitted that they did not even ask the president if he had symptoms on, about coronavirus related to coronavirus until Thursday evening when he got back from that New Jersey fundraiser after he had already been around uh, over 200 people at that fundraiser. And that was hours after one of his top aides tested positive. It raises the question, why didn't you test the president of the United States immediately upon learning that somebody he works closely with was positive? Yeah. What did the president know and when did he know it? We've asked that question before. Uh, Caitlin, do we know where the president will be quarantining when he gets back to the White House this evening? Well, obviously you presume the residence, but when the doctor was asked, will he only stay in the residence for the next several days, given we just found out less than a week ago, not even close to a week ago, that he was positive, they wouldn't say, Jake, if he's only going to stay in the west in the residence or if he would actually be going into the Oval Office for work. And so that raises questions about the exposure of the housekeeping staff, the residence staff, the military valets, the Secret Service agents. And if the president is going into the West Wing, you could be seeing West Wing staffers go from wearing no no mask at all, as they were doing in the weeks before this, to wearing full PPE, gowns, gloves, shields, and masks in their day-to-day workspaces. Caitlin Collins, thank you so much. I want to bring in CNN's chief medical correspondent, uh, medical correspondent Dr. Sanjay Gupta. Uh, but so Sanjay, before I, I ask you about your medical expertise, I just want to take a, a second here. President Trump wrote on Twitter, don't be afraid of COVID, don't let it dominate your life. Almost 210,000 Americans are dead from this disease, meaning hundreds of thousands of people in this country are mourning. Or we just reached, we, look at that, we just reached 210,000 uh, since I've been on air. 210,000 Americans dead, hundreds of thousands, if not millions of Americans mourning them. 7.4 million Americans uh, have contracted the disease. Many of them are going to have health problems for the rest of their life. For President Trump, who gets the best medical care of anybody in the world, to say, don't be afraid of COVID, don't let it dominate your life. There are children who don't have parents now because of this virus. Don't let it dominate your life. I mean, Jake, this is this is so disrespectful. I'm not even sure I can I can speak about this in some sort of uh, cogent way here. I I just you know, I I know people who who right now, family members uh, who have lost people um, and and they watch. They watch our programming, and it's it's incredibly uh, incredibly disrespectful. It's obviously not true in the sense that we know he knows how serious this is. He's known how serious it is since the beginning of February. He's just gone through this himself now. Um, it's it's uh, it's a total total cognitive dissonance, even within his own mind. Uh, what he believes and what he says are diametrically opposed at this point. Not to mention, don't be afraid of it. Almost then encourages this this completely dangerous non-scientific approach of herd immunity basically saying don't be af- what does that mean don't be afraid of it i mean first of all it's it's a contagious disease that kills people so what are you going to be afraid of if you're not afraid of something like that also are you advocating that people then go get infected nothing to be afraid of we know if that is the policy if that's the approach you know uh, two million people could die hospitals would become overwhelmed uh it would it would cause you know millions more infections it, it's just there's nowhere to even begin with some of this, Jake, in terms of responding to, to a comment like that. It's gross. It really is. It, it, in terms of how people will take that 
as you point out, the number, the hundreds of thousands of people who died. And another thing those family members don't like me to say, and you know, but needs to be said, is that no one likes to think of their loved ones as having died a preventable death, right? That's the last thing they want to hear. And yet so many of these deaths, I'm sorry uh, to the people who are listening, dealing with this, but so many of those deaths were preventable. They it's, were- it's true. It's yeah. just true. It of didn't course, have to it's happen. preventable. And Dr. Fauci acknowledged it uh, back in, in April or May when I interviewed him. If they had acted sooner, and if they'd acted more effectively, and if the business, businesses hadn't been uh, reopened before they were, they should have reopened before. If states hadn't been pressured to reopen before they should have been reopened. If testing was up to snuff. Uh, if uh, and I could go on and on. I just want to say to anybody out there who's watching who has either lost somebody to this virus or is grappling with it or uh, has somebody in their life who is grappling with it. Because I know young, healthy people who've had this virus who are still not fully recovered and may never be because of the damage to their lungs. I just want them to know that there are plenty of us out here who understand that it's okay to be afraid of COVID and it's okay that, that it's dominating your life because it has dominated your life. And the idea that the president of the United States out there is because he feels fine, maybe that's because of a steroid, I don't know, that he's saying this is so disrespectful to you. And I I just want you to know that you're not alone if you're out there just shocked that that this kind of callous indifference would be relayed by the person who's actually charged with protecting you from this virus. Uh, Sanjay, I want to ask you, Dr. Conley said that they're in uncharted territory treating this president. That's uh, certainly true. Um, but if that is true, shouldn't he still be at Walter Reed? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, he, he said he's in uncharted territory. He says the president is not out of the woods yet. Time to go home. I mean, it, it, make, it makes no sense. You don't need to be a doctor uh, to, to sort of read into that. This is not a medical decision, clearly. I mean, forget that he's the president, but any 74-year-old who has these pre-existing conditions, and then on top of it shows us that there's been an impact on him. He's, he's required supplemental oxygen, you know, so th- things like that. He had a fever. He's gotten these three medications, none of which are FDA approved. Two of them uh, have emergency use authorization for COVID. Uh, I'm not sure that people have received a combination of all three of these medications. We don't know how they're going to interact. The dexamethasone or the steroids, as you point out, can suppress illness but not actually treat it. So, you know, there, there's, there's all these different factors. And, and, you know, when he went to the hospital on Friday, I thought to myself, good. Uh, he's going to be in a place where he's going to have many specialists, advanced imaging, an ICU close by, be able to deal with the things that, uh, that he may need. Uh, if, if Dr. Conley is saying he's not out of the woods yet, then, then why is he sending him home? Or why is he allowing him to be sent home, I should say? Maybe he has no power over this, which is probably the case. But this is not a good medical decision. You could probably invite 1,000 doctors onto your program over the next couple of weeks, and I think that they're all going to say the same thing. I mean, how, how, unless there's something we're not being told. And truth is, they, they are hiding information from us. Uh, are they hiding information from us that would suggest that he was actually better then it seems, or is he, are they hiding information that would suggest that he's worse than he seems? We don't know because the doctors come out to do these briefings, but then don't answer. Does he have pneumonia? Is he on a blood thinner? 
How's he responding to the steroids? Are they causing him to develop any of those side effects Dr. Gina Marazzo is talking about? Hunger, uh, restlessness, aggression, mania, any of those things. Are they going to monitor his blood sugars? What about all the other labs? Did, was there an impact on his heart, his, his liver, his kidneys? You know, th those are basic questions. That, that isn't, how can you come out and say we're going to uh, abide by HIPAA, talk about some things, and then not talk about the most critical issues when it comes to COVID? Yeah, I, I don't think, I think it's safe to say that in the history of medicine, uh, it has never been said, you're not out of the woods yet, therefore we're discharging you today. Uh, Dr. Sanjay Gupta, thank you so much, appreciate it. Just in, a brand new CNN poll showing how much Americans trust or do not trust White House statements about the president's health, the results of that question and more, that's next. Plus, outside the White House, the abrupt changes to stop the virus from creating yet another coronavirus hotspot, that's next. Following breaking news, waiting for President Trump to be released from Walter Reed Medical Center at his own urging this evening. Meanwhile, we have more breaking news. Brand new CNN polls on how the American public believes President Trump has handled his coronavirus diagnosis and how much the public trusts what we're hearing about his current health. CNN political director David Chalian joins me now. David, let's start with the president's handling of his own infection. What are the American people saying when asked if President Trump has been responsible. Yeah, nearly two-thirds of Americans in this poll, Jake, say no. Uh, the president has acted irresponsibly, 63%, in terms of how he is handling the risk of infection to others that were around him and in contact with him. Only a third of those polled uh, say that he acted responsibly, Jake. How about the kind of information that Americans are getting out of the White House? Do they trust what they're hearing about the president's health? Only 12% in this poll, Jake, say they believe and trust almost all of the information they're getting from the White House about the president's health. But take those bottom two numbers, 68%, nearly 7 in 10 in this poll, only trust some or none of what they are hearing. Most of what they're hearing they don't trust uh, in terms of what the White House is saying about the president's health. Well, those are bad numbers, although not unexpected given how the White House has handled this crisis. What do they... These new numbers tell us uh, about how many Americans approve of how President Trump is handling the virus. Yeah, these numbers uh, for the president, Jake, are going in the wrong direction, precisely at the worst possible political moment for him, of course, being a month away from Election Day. Sixty percent now disapprove of the way the president has handled the coronavirus outbreak. Only 37 percent approve. Look at that disapproval number over time, Jake. That 60 percent mark now, it's a high watermark of disapproval on the major issue in America today. Uh, you see it climbing April, May, June. You can see throughout now it's 60 percent uh, disapproval on the issue that is defining his reelection effort. And David, these polls also have some concerning new numbers about how many people say they will get a coronavirus vaccine should there be an, a safe and effective one. Jake, this may be the most disheartening information in this poll. Look, overall, only 51 percent of Americans say yes. If there was a low cost vaccine for coronavirus available now, uh, they would take it. Forty five percent, nearly half the country say no, they wouldn't take it. Well, numbers like that, the vaccine doesn't work. And by the way, if, if you look at that 51 percent number being willing to take it, uh, that's a negative trend. Also, fewer and fewer people over time, if you go back and look, it was at 66 percent. Yes in May, 56% in August. It's now down to 51%. And we know 
uh, that it is also being politicized. I mean, you could see inside these numbers, Jake, a difference uh, that you see sort of between Biden supporters and Trump supporters. And Biden supporters are much more rapidly uh, now stepping away from being willing, ready and able to take a vaccine if it were available. I mean, it's just when you politicize something like this and you split the country on it, how possibly could a vaccine be effective at that point? Well, let me split the country on masks. Why not vaccines? David, stick around. I, I want to bring in CNN's Nia Malika Henderson and, and Sungman Kim, uh, who's the White House reporter for The Washington Post. Nia Malika, let me start with you. Let's start with our breaking news. Uh, President Trump's pending release from Walter Reed Medical Center this evening. His doctors uh, continue to refuse to answer basic questions about the president's health. They did admit that he's not entirely out of the woods yet. Uh, how much do you think it's politics driving the president going back to the White House as opposed to medicine? I think it's 100% politics from this president wanting to appear strong, wanting to downplay this virus. We saw uh, his tweets essentially saying uh, to the American people, don't worry about uh, COVID, don't let it uh, run your life. Well, listen, this is an illness that caused him to be hellevacked uh, to a hospital and have to get all sorts of uh, experimental treatments that obviously aren't available to average Americans. So I think this is a president that's always about optics. We saw him take that joyride of the sort of COVID parade uh, yesterday. And so now he's doing the same, perfectly timed, I think, for this president uh, for the evening news uh, to to walk out of that hospital, be driven out of the hospital, however uh, he goes out of this hospital. But listen, I think Americans know uh, how this president has handled this virus so far. They don't approve of it, as David uh, talked about. And I think his handling of his own virus uh, and the virus as it spread throughout the White House uh, only underscores uh, the lack of faith and the lack of trust that Americans have in this president when it comes to this terrible, terrible illness. And, and Sung Lin, on that point, um, President Trump's poll numbers are moving in the exact wrong direction for him. Uh, and now you see him pushing to get out of the hospital uh, when his doctors say he's not entirely out of the woods yet. One of the most perplexing things about covering this president is how often he, he moves to please the Breitbarts and Matt Gates of the world while the other two-thirds of the United States is looking at him and saying, we disapprove. And he, instead of trying to meet the people, the majority who disapprove of what he's doing, he runs completely in the wrong direction. I think that's precisely right. Like, we've seen him do that with the handling of the coronavirus. You've seen that with his handling of the masks when you know that a vast majority of the country believes and supports in mask wearing. But this is something that we've seen from the president time and time again, when there is something that is dominating his presidency, the news cycle, he tries to change the subject. He tries to veer it in a different direction that is more favorable to him. So if it was the pandemic going on earlier this year, he tries to pivot to the economic reopening and tries to kind of pressure uh, states to kind of get things back to normal because they know, because he knows that a sense of normalcy is something that would help his uh, prospects in the election. You know, if there's a racial justice, with the racial justice issues going on, he's trying to pivot it back to law and order issues. But this puts, again, the coronavirus pandemic squarely in the spotlight, as it should be, considering the severity of the current pandemic and how um, hard it is hitting the leader of the free world right now, just squarely back into the public spotlight and in a way politically that the president and his team don't want. David, I want to dive into the poll numbers here for a second. Talk about a warning sign for the Trump campaign. His disapproval rating for handling the virus has gone up. And take a look at that 
uh, when it comes to women voters. Disapproval among women is up from 63% to 69%. This is already a group of voters uh, that have been uh, running away from him. Yeah, this I mean, we know the gender gap that exists in this race. There's no doubt about that. And his actions on his own uh, contracting the virus and how he handled it. And uh, as you're saying, on just handling the outbreak overall is driving female voters even further away. When I showed you before, uh, 63% say he acted irresponsibly. If you look at the difference between how women and men answered that, it was like by 20 points. I think 72% of women are saying he acted irresponsibly in the way that he handled this. This is a particular problem there and with independence. Precisely the groups that if you're Donald Trump and you want to have a successful path to 270 and re-election, you need to start bringing some of these folks back into the fold. His actions in the last week, Jake, they continue to repel. Yeah, and his action today is not going to—it's not going to help. Uh, Nia, um, there's also another group that President Trump needs, and this is shocking: uh, seniors. In these new polls, 62% of those above the age of 65 disapprove of how President Trump has handled the pandemic. It turns out. Uh, that the message of let grandma and grandpa die uh, isn't actually a winning one. With Uh, grandma and grandpa, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, and listen, Democrats uh, haven't uh, tied or, or won seniors in decades. And you see Biden doing really well among seniors of all races. And I think you, you think about seniors of all races, you think about independence, independence of all races and women uh, as well. This president uh, is just not where he needs to be. And it's not clear how he gets there. How does he uh, turn that message around, particularly in a state like Florida, Pennsylvania as well? Lots of uh, seniors in, in those big battleground states. And so here he is with this message about COVID that affects seniors disproportionately. Seniors like Donald Trump uh, and really not being able to have a message uh, that assures those seniors that he is taking this uh, seriously, this disease that has really ravaged uh, so many different communities, nursing homes, uh, people's grandparents, as you said. Uh, And so it's unclear that this new message of, listen, the president uh, beat this and too bad Joe Biden uh, doesn't have this sort of firsthand knowledge of experiencing COVID. it's a ridiculous message, and I think you're going to see that show up time and time again uh, with senior voters and in these poll numbers. Right. The idea, <laughs> that was one of the most ridiculous, you're, yeah. refer- you're referring to one of his spokesmen on, uh, on that other channel saying that, you know, now he's, he's going to be a good president because now he has firsthand experience right. with COVID, which is just, you know, brain melt. Uh, thanks one and all. Appreciate it. This Wednesday will be the only vice presidential debate between Vice President Mike Pence and Senator Kamala Harris. Special coverage starts at 7 o'clock Eastern here on CNN. Be sure to tune in. And as we wait for President Trump to release, be released from Walter Reed, a closer look at the timeline of his infection and his treatment. I'm going to talk to an infectious disease doctor next. Stay with us. Joe Biden speaking right now in Miami moments ago, speaking about President Trump as uh, President Trump prepares to leave Walter Reed Medical Center this evening. Take a listen. My prayers continue to be with the President and the First Lady for their health and safety. As they, like so many American families, are dealing with COVID-19. I was glad to see the President speaking and recording videos over the weekend. Now that he's busy tweeting campaign messages, I would ask him to do this. Listen to the scientists. Support masks. Support a mask mandate nationwide. Require masks in every federal building and facility and interstate travel. 
urge every governor and mayor to do the same. We know it saves lives. This message from former Vice President Biden as President Trump uh, prepares to go back to the White House this evening at his own insistence, even though doctors say he is not entirely out of the woods yet. And since the president first tested positive on late Thursday evening, at least 13 others in his orbit have tested positive. And what is playing out in real time as a prime example of how fast and how far this virus can spread when proper distancing measures and masks are not taken. Joining me now is head of the Infectious Diseases Diseases Division at the University of Nebraska Medical Center, Dr. Mark Rupp. Dr. Rupp, good to see you again. Uh, Let's walk through this timeline. The president was diagnosed Thursday. He had a fever and was given supplemental oxygen on Friday and took remdesivir and Regeneron. He was then taken to Walter Reed Medical Center, given an intense steroid and more oxygen on Saturday, and now he's going home? Does that make any sense to you? Well, it it does seem to be um, just a little bit uh, accelerated. Um, Clearly, the White House has extensive capability to uh, care for the president uh, on the confines of the White House, and I'm sure that that is partially driving the decision. But as you've pointed out, the president has received three different medications for this disease, uh, including some of those that are generally reserved for more severely ill individuals. Uh, We also know that when somebody contracts COVID-19, that the first five to seven days uh, tends to be fairly critical and that sometimes people can take abrupt turns for the worse, uh, even after, uh, you know, five or seven days of illness. That's typically uh, where we sometimes start to see deterioration. So I think the president's going to have to be uh, and and will be, obviously, uh, very carefully monitored. And um, uh, if he needs to get back to the hospital, I'm sure that his medical staff will do that. Presumably, he's still uh, infectious. Uh, Fauci said earlier today to to CNN's John Berman that he thinks that, you know, from the moment somebody uh, first uh, gets symptoms, which as far as we know was last Thursday, uh, you have to extend at least 10 days, at least 10 days, which would make it this coming Sunday, Trump campaign communications director Tim Murtaugh just told CNN that the president intends to participate in the next debate, which is on October 15th, uh, 10 days from today. Uh, is that going to be safe for other people in the debate hall? Well, generally, there's two strategies in removing somebody from protective isolation. Uh, one is, as you've mentioned, a, a time limiter in which people need to be at least 10 days from the onset of symptoms. Uh, The other uh, modality is to do testing. And if uh, the president was tested with the sensitive uh, PCR assays and had at least two of those that were negative, um, it would be safe to bring him out of isolation. However, it should be emphasized that even under those conditions, uh, it would be prudent for the president to be wearing a mask, to be limiting contact as much as possible, make sure that he has uh, a very good uh, physical distancing from others. Um, People can intermittently be positive with these tests as well. And so that's something that uh, would need to be guarded against. Um, I want to get your opinion about how safe it is for President Trump to debate uh, on October 15th. Not, Not safe for President Trump, safe for Joe Biden. Uh, if he's in the same room with him. Uh, And we've just learned that Vice President Pence, who also was in contact with a number of people who tested positive, although we're told Pence has tested negative, Pence and Senator Kamala Harris, we're told, will be separated by plexiglass at Wednesday's debate. That's according to a source. Um, If you were advising Senator Harris or if you were, were advising Joe Biden, would you say plexiglass is enough, that's fine, just, you know, just be 10 feet away, 15 feet away and do a plexiglass? Or would you suggest 
maybe you and your opponent, one of whom has COVID, the other one who has come in contact with COVID, somebody who has COVID, uh, Pence, maybe they should, maybe you should be in different rooms. Well, I think this does open up some interesting conversation. Uh, clearly, there are a number of principles that need to be followed. First is the more distance, the better. And so, uh, you know, the six foot magic distance is, is probably not enough, particularly in an indoor shared airspace. And so more distance is going to be better. Physical barriers would be appropriate. Um, making sure that their air handling was uh, at its peak efficiency. They may even need to uh, bring in extra air handlers to scrub the air. But I, I agree with you. I think that you know many of us in our businesses and in our interactions have turned to various virtual forms of communication. And there's really no reason why this couldn't be done in some sort of a format, in, in, a, in a virtual format. Uh, it also might help to uh, control the conversation a little bit and actually give the candidate <laughs> Uh, a chance to express themselves more fully. <laughs> well, that's, that's a separate issue, uh, but, but we could talk about that at another time offline. Uh, but, I mean, not to be too fine a point on it, but, but Senator Harris and, and Vice President Biden have been behaving responsibly, wearing masks, distancing, and President Trump and Vice President Pence and the others have been reckless. Uh, we all see it. They don't wear masks. Uh, and, and now we have a hot zone at our own White House. Um, they have these events that are crowded. Uh, I mean, I guess just to just to put it, uh, you know, candidly, why should people who have been responsible about this have to go into a room with people who haven't, one of whom at least has the virus? Well, I think this clearly is a strong cautionary message to all of us that uh, despite uh, very frequent testing with efforts to create a buffer of distance between the president and others. Uh, clearly, this was not enough. And so uh, wearing a mask anytime when people are in public, uh, when they can't maintain uh, safe distances, particularly if they're in any kind of an indoor air airspace, uh, is the appropriate message. Um, you know, the, the decision of whether uh, folks can come into the debate format safely, as we've already talked about, is mm -hmm. going to depend upon a number of variables, and those will have to be carefully considered. But it does sound as though you think that probably doing it in two different rooms would be the safer, more cautious approach, if anybody were asking you, although I don't know that the Commission on Presidential Debates will ever ask you. Dr. Mark Rupp, thank you so much for your time. We really appreciate it, as always. The concern of another coronavirus spike now in New Jersey after President Trump traveled to Bedminster. The governor of that state will join me next. And we are standing by for President Trump to be released from Walter Reed Medical Center and returned to the White House, which seems to be d being done for political, not, not medical reasons. The world is watching President Trump battle and downplay the coronavirus, and this country is fighting a worsening battle of its own. Cases are rising across the United States. Only five states right now are trending down. And in New York, after turning around what was a huge virus hotspot in New York City, CNN's Nick Watt explains that the governor there is shutting down several areas once, once again. In nine New York City zip codes, schools are closing down again. It's time for us to rewind. In those same zip codes, the mayor also wants non-essential stores, gyms, indoor dining closed again as test positivity rates rise, now too high for comfort. The governor won't go for that. Not yet. Very sad. We expect to move forward, but this, and we go behind. 
Also concern over in New Jersey after that fundraiser Thursday hosted by a likely infectious president. Case counts are now rising again across the Northeast, which was so recently a success story. These five states saw at least 50% more cases this past week compared to the week before. This is a wake-up call to everyone in New York City to tighten up again, to do the things that work. Look, we overcame the worst problem in the entire country. New York State's governor says a lack of local enforcement is a big part of the problem. You will see people die if we don't do more enforcement. The state is going to take over the enforcement oversight in all the hotspot clusters. Meanwhile, this morning down in Miami-Dade County, another former hotspot, more than 22,000 kids returned to the classroom. Here to report happily that uh, I've seen nothing but happy faces. At one North Carolina school, all third grade now quarantined after a teacher, Julie Davis, tested positive. She later died. There will be plenty more pain ahead. But I'm actually disturbed and concerned about the fact that our baseline of infections is still stuck at around 40,000 per day. He's been saying that for weeks and we've only gotten worse. Back-to-back days of 50,000 plus new cases nationwide, Friday and Saturday. First time we've seen that since mid-August. And a lot of talk about New York, but it is not just New York. The states I'm about to list have, in just the past week, broken their records. The most new cases in a single day. They are Alaska, Montana, Nebraska, South Dakota, Wisconsin, and Kentucky. And as the governor of Kentucky says, we have to do better. Jake. All right. Nick Watt in Los Angeles. Thank you so much. Stay safe, my friend. Joining us now, the Democratic governor of New Jersey, Phil Murphy. Uh, Governor Murphy, I want to get your reaction. The president is being released from the hospital, even though the doctors there say he's not entirely out of the woods. And he put forward this tweet saying that people should not be scared of COVID. They shouldn't let it dominate their lives. Your reaction? Well, first of all, he's in my prayers, as is the first lady and everybody else who's infected, including, by the way, my predecessor, Governor Christie. Um, I'll tell you something, Jake. I speak almost every day with family members who have lost a loved one. I just got off the phone, three calls like that in a row. Uh, Let me tell you something. We've lost over 14,000 people in our state, confirmed. These were lives that were lived all ages, uh, extraordinary human beings. They put up incredible fights. They were tough as nails, and they lost out and, and, and passed because of the virus. So I think any amount of, from, from, from bully pulpits, any amount of sense that we can let our guard down, don't let this thing bother us, don't let it dominate your life, is counter to what the facts suggest and counter to the lives that we've lost. So, Governor, uh, on Thursday... After the president learned that his top aide, Hope Hicks, with whom he had been in recent close contact, after learning that she had not only tested positive for coronavirus, but was showing symptoms, was sick, and Hope's young and healthy, uh, President Trump nonetheless boarded Marine One, then Air Force One, uh, and then attended a fundraiser in your state, in New Jersey, with more than 200 attendees. Uh, You've called on all these attendees to quarantine. Uh, How big of a potential outbreak are you bracing for, and... What do you think of the president's behavior? I mean, the the decision to fly, Jake, was a reckless one. Um, It's plain and simple. We we want a therapeutic. We want a vaccine. God willing, we'll get both of them sooner than later. In the meantime, we're left with 
a very small set of very basic things. The good news is if we follow them, uh, we'll be healthier. Social distancing, face coverings, wash your hands with soap and water. And if either you're positive, you've got symptoms, or you come into contact with someone who's positive, take yourself off the field. It's that simple for 14 days. They, they flew literally and figuratively in this case in the face of that. And they came in and were in the midst of a couple of hundred people plus staff members. Um, I, I don't have an answer for you in terms of how widespread this is, but it was a national group of attendees. So the staff was all Jersey. Some number of the folks there were from Jersey, but there were folks also from around the country. Mm. So we got on it first thing Friday morning, contact tracing. Um, but it, we can't do this alone. We need more federal help. Uh, and it, it, it is a concern and it should be a concern, but it was a reckless decision to go ahead with that event. Well, I, I talked to Governor DeWine of Ohio yesterday, and he said, uh, even though President Trump had been in Ohio for the debate on Tuesday and was likely infected and may have been contagious when he was there, he said he didn't hear from anybody at the White House to let him know about the diagnosis or to reach out to start working on contact tracing. Have you? Has anybody from the White House or the Trump campaign reached out to you and said, these are the people that are infected and let's work together on contact tracing? Because now, you know, it's not just New Jersey fat cats, of course, also it's 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 uh, bartenders and waiters and other people working people in Bedminster. Has anybody reached out? Well, I first heard the news, by the way, not from any official source on Friday, early Friday morning when I woke up. We've been in constant touch with the White House, with the CDC with the Republican National Committee, at okay, least good. initially, to get the list. Uh, but we haven't, uh, the, the feds need to do more on this. We've been shouldering the lion's share of this, by the way, not even just for the New Jersey folks who are our main focus, but we've been communicating with folks from around the country. We need, we need more information and we need more partnership from the federal side. And you said there are reports that organizers and the Trump campaign uh, may have uh, not followed uh, the emergency order in your state. Uh, and that that would be reported to the attorney general of your state. Are, are you theoretically going to press charges against the individuals who violated the, the orders, including President Trump? I mean, uh, I, I can't say for sure one way or the other. The attorney general in our state uh, is looking into it as he should. Um, I'm focused in particular, not just that the trip shouldn't have happened, period, uh, but that as part of the trip, there was an indoor part of the event was an indoor event. And so, you know, we've got pretty strict measures on things like capacities, uh, no buffet food lines. You've got to have the food served to you. Uh, we're sensing that maybe both of those uh, were violated. But again, I'll leave that to the attorney general. But the whole thing should never have happened. Governor Phil Murphy, uh, Democrat, thank you so much. I really appreciate your time. We'll be right back. Thank you, Jake. In 2020, the Senate Judiciary Committee chairman, Republican Senator Lindsey Graham, has officially scheduled the confirmation hearings for Supreme Court nominee Judge Amy Coney Barrett to begin on October 12th. And now Senator Graham is using this as a reason for his re-election, as CNN's Manu Raji reports. He's gone from outspoken Trump critic to a staunch Trump defender. Thank you for being the best commander-in-chief. And now Lindsey Graham is battling to keep his Senate seat in South Carolina and trying to convince voters he should be rewarded for his loyalty to the president. Here's what I want to tell all the liberals talking about South Carolina. We're going to kick your ass. Despite attacking Trump five years ago... He's a race-baiting, xenophobic, religious bigot. He now says this. I think it's, we're a team. 
And Graham is betting that his vigorous defense of Trump's Supreme Court nominees and push to confirm his choice of Amy Coney Barrett by month's end will win over voters in this conservative state, despite what he said in the past. I've been helping Trump, and I apparently pissed every liberal in the country off, but we'll be fine. But Graham is being swamped by a deluge of attack ads painting him as a craven politician suddenly making him among the most endangered Republicans. Democrat Jamie Harrison, a former congressional aide, state party chair and lobbyist, is raising a staggering amount of money and bombarding the airwaves with ads like this one. One of the reasons our political system is broken is politicians who've been in Washington so long. Harrison has already spent $40 million in advertising, compared to roughly $14 million by Graham. Harrison has let his ads do the talking, doing little public campaigning and speaking sparingly to the media. They have been blitzing us with ads back to back. I've been seeing a lot of Jamie um, Harrison ads. I haven't seen much more than just that and on the Internet. As a father of two young sons and pre-diabetic, Harrison has been cautious in the age of coronavirus, even insisting on large plexiglass be placed beside him during Saturday's debate. Harrison's campaign says his schedule has been packed, but his aides would not provide a list of his virtual events, despite many requests by CNN. Mr. Harrison, hi, Manuraju at CNN. Do you have a quick minute to talk before the debate? Yeah, we've been trying to talk to you for this. Uh, your campaign hasn't been responding to our questions. Mr. Harrison, do you have a quick second to talk about the debate, how it went? So any questions from CNN, will you take them? At the debate, Harrison attacked Graham over his repeated promises in 2016 and 2018 not to advance a Supreme Court pick in a presidential election year. You could use my words against me. You took an oath to serve, and that's what you've done. Now, just be a man of it and stand up and say, you know what, I changed my mind. Graham was unapologetic about his reversal. Amy Barrett will be a buffer to liberalism. If you want conservative judges, I'm your only bet in this race. Yet it's that kind of shift that may cost Graham this voter in Myrtle Beach. I kind of liked him until he flip-flopped on the Supreme Court thing. And that kind of turned me off. But Graham thinks most voters will ultimately reward him in his quest to keep the court and the Senate conservative. Do you worry that voters may have lost trust in you? No, not at all. I think people can trust me to be fair. And Jake, in my interview with Lindsey Graham, I asked whether President Trump should have leveled with the American public and not downplay the coronavirus as he admitted to doing. Graham did not take issue at all with the president's handling of the virus and saying, I didn't think the president should, quote, go out and say, quote, the whole country is going to blow up. Jake. All right, Manu thank you so much. I uh, really appreciate it. You can follow me on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. You can follow the show at The Lead CNN. Our coverage on CNN continues right now. Thanks for watching. I'll see you tomorrow at the same time. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. I'm Dr. Sanjay Gupta, host of the Chasing Life podcast. In honor of our 10th season, we want to hear from you. Leave us a message at 470-396-0832 and tell us how you chase life. It could be used on an upcoming episode.